I V M. Folks, welcome to Besa Besa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and I hope all of you are staying safe. And as always, our gratitude and thanks to the to everyone on the front line battling this battle for us, the health workers, the civic authorities, the police, every one of them. Thanks a lot from all of us. Folks, this is a really super duper special episode. It's about a topic that I've received a lot of requests on. It's a topic that I myself am very interested in because it is a product which is very new. It's very niche also. Not many people um, know about it, but those who do know how it works. It's also something that has come up in the last five, ten years. It's also special because the guest that I've got is a veteran blogger. And he is among the most well-known names out there to talk about this subject. He runs the blog Alpha Idea. Then it's believe me, it's not easy to get him uh, for a recording, which is why a special thanks and a shout out to Pradeep Naluri for making the introduction to us. Pradeep, if you're listening in, thank you for, for doing this for us. So, folks, without further ado, let me welcome Nitin Rao of Alpha Ideas. Nitin, welcome to Pesa Pesa. Thank you so much for doing this for us. I remember last week we were chatting about your background and good Lord, you've got a really fascinating background. I could probably do an entire episode on that. But for the benefit of our listeners, just run us through very quickly, very briefly about what all you've done in life, you know, and how you got to run the Alpha Ideas blog. Let's start from there. Uh, Thank you, Anupam. Uh, Great to be on this show. Uh, I've been following you on Twitter all this while and it's a, a real pleasure to be on this show now. Uh, for the audience out there, uh, like Anumon mentioned, uh, my name is Nitin Rao and I run a blog called Alpha Ideas. Uh, my background is uh, I done my computer engineering from uh, VJTI and I done my MBA from uh, IFT New Delhi. Uh, I was in the corporate sector, mostly in the technology side for around uh, 10 odd years. Uh, I had a passion for the markets and around 10 years back, that is uh, two, 2009, I became a full-time investor. So the full-time investor, like the you know profile suggests, is I invest in the markets uh, for a living. I'm not an investment advisor. Uh, I'm not a financial advisor. I just invest my own capital, and uh, that's how I uh, make my living. Uh, in 2012, I started Alpha Ideas uh, mainly because uh, I like reading a lot, and I thought it would be interesting to share some of the links that I read, and that led to the rise of uh, Alpha Ideas. Alpha Ideas is a very simple blog, and uh, if you can take it out, uh, it's very simple and uncluttered. Uh, around that time, uh, 2013, 2014, I became uh, interested in unlisted shares. Uh, unlisted shares uh, are shares that are not listed on the SO exchanges. Uh, they're also known as pre-IPO shares. Uh, so pre-IPO, like the like I suggest, something that you buy before an IPO. In the hope that as and when the company lists and gets traded on the exchange, uh, you'll, you can make a living out of that. So now that's around uh, six odd years of doing unlisted shares as well. So I think I'll guess that's a beef profile about me. Great. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you so much for that. Nathan, let's start with this unlisted market. Um, you know, we are in 2020. You started this in 2014. So you've seen this for six years. Can you tell our listeners as to how this starts? Because see, uh, for a publicly listed company, it's fairly easy. The promoters come to the markets, uh, you know, and they raise capital. But the unlisted market, how does it work? Where does it form? Who are the people who provide shares? Who are the people who buy shares? 
And I like the fact that you also call it the pre-IPO market, right? Because if the IPO doesn't happen, then, you know, I'm probably stuck with shares that might not even be uh, traded publicly. So let's have an origin story for the unlisted market. So how it works, where the shares come from, who's buying. The unlisted shares or what I like to call them as a pre-IPO shares. Uh, in the Indian market, uh, in the Indian context, they've been around for a long time. I mean, uh, let's say more than 15 years, 20 years and so on. In the West, it's very common because, you know, you have in the Silicon Valley, uh, you have companies which give ESOPs to their employees and there's a market in those ESOPs to the employees. Now, let's come to the Indian context back. Now, in the Indian context, we have a couple of kinds of companies uh, which are not listed, but whose shares exist. Now, just to give an example, uh, you had uh, a bank, let's say like uh, Ratnakar Bank, which is now RBL Bank. So this bank is 70 plus years old, now 75 years old. And it had, uh, when it started the bank, it had given uh, shares to its depositors, uh, to its lenders. So that created a market or a shareholder base, even though the shares were not listed on the exchanges. Another example is Catholic Syrian Bank, which is listed now. But this, is, this bank is close to a 100 years old bank. Similarly, they had given shares to their uh, depositors, to the community, and therefore a share market existed even though not listed. A different example is Bombay Soy Exchange. Uh, Bombay Soy Exchange is, uh, you know, was had a membership scheme. When it got corporatized, in lieu of the membership, the brokers got shares, and therefore you had an existing shareholder even though they were not listed on the Soy Exchanges. Another example, a different kind of example is ESOPs that are given to employees. So I say, say Prudential Life gave ESOPs to his employees. They got vested and the employees were willing to sell their shares. Same is true for uh, Religare Health Insurance. Another kind of category where shares come into the market is uh, something, uh, say, like a Chennai Super Kings. Uh, so India Cement shareholders got shares of Chennai Super Kings. That is not yet listed on the soy exchanges, but an existing shareholder base exists. So these are three or four ways where you have a large block of shares that exist, even though the shares are not listed on the stock exchanges. Okay. So Nitin, explain to me one thing. Yeah. When, how do you, you know, so how does one deal in these shares? In the sense that for uh, publicly listed shares, I just have to call my broker. That's it. He is the market maker or rather he arranges for the uh, for the buyer or for the seller if I have shares to sell or if I want shares. But if I'm an employee of XYZ company and my stock, you know, and I've been given, say, 100 shares of XYZ uh, as part of my ESOPs, uh, I work long enough so that I can, they vest in me and I actually buy it. And I decide, hey, listen, I want to sell it. But who do I go to? Where do I, you know, so as someone who's a participant in this pre-IPO market, can you just give us the backend story of this as to how it works? Because I just want to understand that. Sure. Uh, so, uh, now to your question, uh, who can sell shares in the IPO or a pre-IPO? Who can buy shares in a pre-IPO? Uh, let me just go through the modalities in a very simple fashion. So, the first question is, uh, who can sell shares in a pre-IPO? So, the answer is very obvious. The existing shareholders of the company can sell shares. A related question is the company anyway involved in selling shares in a pre-IPO? The answer is no. This is a secondary transaction. It is not a primary transaction. So suppose you have ESOPs of a company and you invest into shares and when you sell the shares, your company is not involved. 
in that transaction. It is just between you and the buyer. The next question that frequently gets asked is, are the shares being sold in the demand form? And the answer is again, yes, all the shares are sold in the demand form. There is no paper form. Uh, this comes as a surprise to a lot of people because they think that only listed companies can have DMAT accounts. But that is not the case. Any company that has got more than 100 shareholders can pass a board resolution and get his shares dematerialized with NSDL or CDSL. Now the question comes, uh, who do you approach to, to sell your shares? So you can approach, uh, let's say, someone like me or the, some of the dealers in the market, some of the brokers. You can approach them and say that, I want to sell my shares. So uh, then they agree upon a price. Uh, and if you think the price is okay, you can go ahead and sell your shares. So the process is also very simple. You uh, confirm the quantity or what is known as a deal. So you say that, hey, I want to sell 100 shares at 100 bucks. So that there's an email confirmation to that. You provide your bank account details. I provide my DMAT account details. And then on the trade settlement date, I transfer the money to your bank account via NEFT or RTGS. Once you get the funds, you transfer the shares in an off-market transaction to me. I'll get the shares the same day and the deal is done, you know. So that's how the process of selling shares in an IPO does. The reverse is exactly the same when you're buying shares. So you want to buy shares of XYZ company from me. I give my bank account. You give me your DMAT account. You transfer the funds to me and I transfer the shares to you. And I issue you a sale note. So it's very straightforward. In fact, it's faster than the stock exchange because a stock exchange takes T plus 2 for the trade settlement to happen. So suppose you buy something today. The shares get reflected in your DMAT account on T plus two days. Whereas in a unlisted or a pre-IPO market, the shares get reflected in your DMAT account the same day. So uh, that's uh, more or less uh, the process uh, of the IPO. You know, this is... Okay, I, the reason why I'm laughing is this, this, you know, somehow it reminds me of a 70s or 80s Bollywood movie, you know, I need to give money to someone, so aadha note I give, aadha note is with And that person shows note, then the deal happens, right? Because yes. here's the thing, I mean, I'm thinking counterparty risk. Um, yes. I, you know, if someone has run in front of me, I have transferred my shares to you, or let's say you've given the money to me, either of them can run away. So I'm guessing that trust in the intermediary is a very important thing here. Unlike in the publicly listed market where the exchange stands behind you or there is some recourse out there. Could you just tell us that, you know, because I want to just understand that risk aspect out here. Uh, it's a very valid point. Uh, in the uh, listed uh, market, the exchanges take the counterparty risk. So you buy something, you don't really care on who the seller is. If you sell something, you don't really care who the buyer is because as far as you are concerned, your counterparty is the exchange. But that is not the case in a pre-IPO or unlisted share deal. In the pre-IPO market, there's no exchange. There's nobody who guarantees uh, the counterparty. So you have to trust the counterparty. So, and that is why everything happens, uh, there needs to be documentation, meaning the email that is sent, you're transferring funds only through online channels, you're getting the shares uh, in your DMAT, there's no paper or anything, everything is electronic. So, uh, that is one way to reduce counterparty risk. Another way to reduce counterparty risk is only through references. So, you get references from someone who has dealt with that particular dealer before or that broker before, the counterparty before. 
and then you can proceed. Uh, some of the larger deals that happen, uh, where the ticket size is fairly large, uh, people use escrow accounts where you pay money to a bank. Uh, they have an escrow uh, involved, and uh, then you pay fees to the bank. The DMAT, the shares, and the funds are deposited, and the bank ensures the trade settlement. But that is uh, because of the expenses involved. It makes sense to go for an escrow only for very large ticket uh, kind of deals. And finally, what are the costs involved out here? Because uh, in the stock market, brokerages have the brokerage cost, which is fairly standard. You know, it could be zero in case of some uh, some brokerages, and others typically charge between I don't know point five percent and stuff like that. And then there is a security transaction tax, there is GST, etc. So, what are the costs involved out here? Uh, here, what happens is what you're doing uh, generally is what is known as a secondary of market deal. So it is a deal. So say I'm buying shares from you. Uh, in that case, I am your counterparty. Therefore, there's no brokerage involved. So how someone like me or an unlisted dealer makes money, suppose I buy it from you at 100 bucks, I'll sell it to someone at 101 bucks. So I make money from the spread or I make money from the market making. I and other people, they don't make money from the brokerage. Uh, that happens in, let's say, 95% of the cases or 98% of the cases. In the rare case where the ticket size is very large and the dealer cannot take such a large block of shares on his book, then you go for a brokerage or a commission kind of a deal. Understood. Great. So, folks, we're going to take a small break out here. On the other side, the really interesting part, the risk return profile of the unlisted market We've spoken about how this entire thing works on the back end uh, and what exactly it is. But what are the risks when you buy an unlisted share? And what are, what have the past returns shown? And there's no one better than Nitin to tell us about all this. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on this really special episode of Pesa Vesa. And welcome back to this really special episode of Pesa Vesa. My guest, Nitin Rao of Alpha Ideas. We are talking about the unlisted share market or the pre-IPO market. In the first part of the show, we spoke, we spoke about how it works. In this part, we're going to get into the real fun part. How does it operate? Nitin, tell us here. You know, on your website, you have this FAQ on the pre-IPO market where there is a specific question on risk return. So let's just walk through that. You know, if I'm someone who is buying shares, what is the risk that I am taking, um, you know, including stuff like whether the IPO happens or not. And what are the returns that you have seen tracking all these companies in the pre-IPO market? Because their prices are not public. Uh, only till recently, some sites have started publishing the prices of these stocks. So let's get into these three aspects. Risk return and probably pricing and price discovery let's talk about that okay thanks anupam uh, the risk that an investor takes while buying a pre ipo uh, you know the three or four kinds of risk the first risk is management risk so when you buy an uh, and that we have seen even in the listed space you buy a script and the management doesn't perform poorly or starts showing losses the share price tanks so same thing is applicable over here also. You buy a company, the management doesn't execute well, doesn't deliver, it's not an A-grade management, then the share price really goes for a toss. And suddenly you have a share 
that is you know worth half the price that you paid much earlier so that is one big risk related to management the second risk is related to timeline risk the timeline risk is you expecting the ipo to happen uh let's say in a year's time but it doesn't happen uh there are some instances of uh, unlisted scripts where the shareholder approval has been given and let's say take the example of catholic syrian bank the shareholders of catholic syrian bank gave approval for ipo around 3 or 4 years in a row and then finally the ipo happened so this is the timeline risk that we are talking about that because uh, you're a minority shareholder the market conditions keep changing you have no clue on when the ipo will happen in some scripts in uh, say let's take sgfc securities as an example the management themselves say that there are no plans for an ipo or uh, nsgv financial which is the financial services arm of sgfc bank the management again say there's no plans for an ipo that you know rumors keep public but there are no plans so there is a timeline risk uh, that is there third is liquidity risk uh, liquidity risk uh, is when you know you say that hey i want to sell my shares and uh, there's just no liquidity in the market uh, like for example now now as of now because the uh, listed markets are not doing well the liquidity in the illiquid markets has also dried up so there's a liquidity risk here so you'll not be able to sell your shares in a hurry and if you are insistent the price that you may get will be at a sharp discount coming to this liquidity i always tell people that look at unlisted the way you look at real estate in the sense that lot of the things that we talked about here are comparable to real estate so you have a counterparty risk that we discussed earlier when you're buying a property or builder flat dega nahi dega the seller uska title clear hai nahi hai so there's some element of counterparty risk there there's a liquidity risk also uh, because i want to sell my flat in mumbai i'll not get a buyer at my price let you know seller seller 30 40% discount if i want to get it off it tomorrow similarly there's a timeline risk i build a give money to a builder and the project doesn't get over only and last is management risk which we all know about builder nahi kaam karega then you know we are in a soup so the the lot of analogies between unlisted and the real estate market and that's the same principles that you have to keep in mind which is number one go for an a grade management number two don't put in money that you'll uh, need in a hurry number 3 is uh, be okay with timeline risk so suppose you have a fine, uh, fantastic property what do you care if it gets sold one year or two years or three years from now similarly if you have a gem say you own a company let's say like icsa lombard you know what do you care if it gets listed one year later or two years later you know the company is growing you know the business is growing and you are okay with it not being uh, listed so these are some of the risks and these are some of the ways to handle that risk as well uh coming to the returns part of it uh the returns of this is uh you know the first thing you have to ask yourself is why the hell should i invest in a pre ipo i understood the risk but why should i invest in anyways now if you think carefully if you th- look at the type of companies that are coming for an ipo you know you take any of the companies that have come and most of them are meant to give exist to private equity investors who had invested before you take a look at dr lalpath thyrocare narayana yudalai lnt infotech you take a look at a lot of these names and you find that there was a pe guy uh, the latest example being sbi cards where carlyle had invested 
And a lot of these names, you realize that the companies that are coming for an IPO don't really require growth capital. Their growth has already been done or the fastest phases of their growth are already behind them. And the IPO is to provide an exit to the private equity investors or the anchor investors or the marquee investors who are already listed in these names. So you are buying a company at not really the beginning or the middle of the growth phase, but somewhere towards the later part of the cycle. So what when you invest in a pre-IPO, in a good pre-IPO, it helps you to participate in the growth of a company. It helps you to get opportunities that otherwise would only be available to big entities like PE firms. Uh, like, for example, people uh, bought pre-IPO shares of ICSA Prudential. The other person who brought ICSA Prudential pre-IPO is Azim Premji, and he you know, invested 150 crores. Here, you can get the same deal for 50,000 bucks. You know? uh, similarly, is true for ICSA Lombard or uh, for RBL Bank. RBL Bank, uh, you know, in its glory days, uh, it, the stock price had gone up from 100 rupees all the way to 700 rupees. And you had the who's who of the PE world investing in that company. So you have a situation uh, as a small investor, as a retail investor, to get in a name which otherwise you'll really need big bucks for. And thirdly, uh, you could have gotten at very reasonable valuations. Uh, that is not the case now. But in the beginning of the cycle, of the unlisted cycle, you could have gotten some of the greatest names at the cheapest prices. So just to give an example, people who bought uh, ICSA Prudential Life at 120, the stock went up all the way to, you know, 500 bucks. ICSA Lombard, people bought at 140, 150. At its peak, it, you know, you know it's 1200 bucks odd. RBL Bank uh, started at 100 bucks, peak was 700 bucks. Of course, now RBL Bank has completed the entire cycle. SGB Financial, which is uh, people compare it to Bajaj Finance, uh, we started uh, market making it when it was 150 rupees a share. Then it went up all the way in SGB uh, in the unlisted space to so 1200 bucks. So you're talking about a return of eight times, nine times your money in uh, five years, six years, and so on. So those were the kind of returns that investors made uh, in uh, pre-IPO unlisted uh, scripts. One very good example uh, is also uh, Paytm. Uh, Paytm uh, in the up cycle. Uh, you know, the valuations exploded and uh, one part of uh, the holding company shares were available in the unlisted space. So some people made money over there as well. So these are the kind of uh, returns that people got by investing in, if I may say, Marquee names. On the flip side, if you had invested in a company where the management was not that great or the results were not good, then your returns would have been subpar. Then you will have been disappointed with the kind of investments that you have done. Wow, that's a lot to digest here. Uh, Nitin, just two questions. Okay, the first is, is there a minimum quantity or a minimum amount that I have to put in? Tell us about that. And then, you know, you've told us about how the prices have moved for this whole bunch of good companies, great companies. In fact, some of them, some of them have in fact yet to be listed. If at all they list, they might, they might not. I don't know. So just walk us through how does price discovery or price movement happen here? at all you know because in the secondary market prices are driven by anything it could just be some news event it could be someone saying something and prices have to prices change by the minute here there is no exchange there are no trading hours there's nothing out here so how on what basis do price 
does price move here for any company in the unlisted shares market okay uh, your first question is you know the price uh, the ticket size can be as yes. low as uh, 25 to 50000 rupees uh, depending on the script that you are talking about uh so that is as far as uh, the minimum ticket size is uh, concerned uh the second aspect is related to price discovery uh the price discovery uh in unlisted uh you know becomes very tricky because uh, prices keep changing and just like the real estate market there's no real uh uh you know uh, there's no exchange which says that hey uh, this is the kind of uh, price uh, that is there so typically what happens is any script that happens a price discovery happens in three four uh, areas first is demand and supply so if there's a lot of demand for a particular script and the supply is very limited the price goes up why uh, conversely if there's a lot of supply and the demand is less the price goes down so that's point 1 point 2 is when a mark uh, when a marquee deal happens so just to give an example if so if uh, a private equity firm buys into an unlisted the price at which they did the deal becomes like the base price so that happened let's say in rbl bank that happened recently with the religar health insurance when kerala took a stake in it so that's uh, secondly uh, uh, investment in the company that sets the base price the third thing uh, is uh, news flow if any positive news flow comes about the stock the price goes up if some negative news flow comes the stock goes down fourthly is comparable valuations in the listed space so if you have a let's say our uh, a, a bank in the listed space and you have another bank in the unlisted space people will always compare the unlisted to the listed very similar to how private equity firms do their deals they do a comparative valuation and they say that hey a similar company is trading for more or less over here so there's no reason why i should buy or sell this company at this particular uh, price so these are basically the four parameters that happen then just like in real estate if you want to get a gauge of feel uh, then you can uh, contact to two or three dealers or people who invest or deal in this scripts and you get a rough idea of what the price is trading at fantastic so nitin wrap up uh tell us about where our listeners can 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 get in touch with you because i know your blog alphaideas.in and man once i go here matlab aadha pauna ghanta to aise hi chala jata hai and that is on your main post so folks please please visit if you've not already that is because alpha ideas is one of the oldest and most detailed uh, blogs that you have in india on the market so these were so the blog is alphaideas.in a l p h a i d a s .in man So Nitin, where do you find the time, man? Look at the book reviews out here. So many of them, man. Tell us something about your 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 blog. How people can get in touch with you, and I don't know. Just you know, I really want to talk about this. Go on. Uh, thanks, Anupam, for your kind words. Uh, the blog is, like I said, a very simple blog. Uh, I have, uh, you know, like I said, I like reading, and uh, that's one of the reasons I started the blog. Uh, coming to how they can get in touch with me uh, they can uh, you know email me the email is there on the blog or they can follow me on twitter uh, twitter handle is at the rate alpha ideas and uh, the blog is a forecast free blog so there are no tips or anything like that on the blog it is just like an investment blog uh, which i have tried to maintain over there fantastic books come on okay last 
just tell us offhandedly, you know, any recommendations for our listeners because I think some of us have a lot of time. A lot of people are discovering um, reading books, and I can see from your book review section that you've got such a fascinating array of choices. So just give us, I don't know, maybe your top three, your top five, or anything that you have on what books should our listeners be reading. Okay. Uh... Well, I am uh, basically the kind of guy, I'm a history nut. So I read a lot of history. Uh, I like reading biographies and I like reading about the stock markets and things like that. So some of the books that I really liked uh, uh, is, you know, uh, I will also help the leaders who are probably investors uh, to help them. One book that I'll recommend is The CEO Factory by Sudhir Sitapati. Uh, Sudhir is one of the best uh, FMCG managers in India. He works for HUL. And if you want to understand how a FMCG company works, which is HUL, and you have to read this book. The second book that I'll recommend is on Titan, which is, I think, one of the greatest companies in India. One of the most fantastic uh, cultures uh, that you can find anywhere in the world. Uh, that's written by Vinay Kamath. And uh, the book is really exhilarating in the sense that how this company grew despite all obstacles to be where it is uh, today. Another book uh, which I liked is a slightly older book. It's called Modern uh, Monopolies. Uh, it's about the platform because, you know, I noticed that in India, fund managers and other people, they keep talking about platforms, but generally they do not have a clue on what a platform really is, you know. So, uh, and if you look at uh, the S&P 500 in the US, most of the earnings are not dominated by platforms like companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, you know, Amazon, people like that. So Microsoft. So if you want to understand where the earnings growth or the profit pool in the world is going, this book will help you understand that. Another book that I really liked is a book called Unstoppable. It's about Kuldeep Singh Dingra and the rise of Berger Pains. Uh, it's about a grassroots story about an Indian entrepreneur and how he rose really to the top. I found it fairly fascinating. Uh, you know, and he was majorly into exports into Russia where he made his money. There's a deal, there's a incident in that book where he negotiated with Vijay Malia to buy Berger Pains. Really fascinating. Another book is on uh, Dilip Sangvi, the founder of Sun Pharma. Uh, Dilip Sangvi's family hails from my same area in Mumbai, which is Matunga. And so I have a thorough affection for this guy <laughs> and how he you know, became the richest man in India uh, at one point in time. Uh, again, a very fascinating book. Again, interesting considering a lot of interest in pharma stocks these days. So these are some of the books that I will recommend to the listeners. Fantastic, Nathan. And there are many, many more. Folks, the website alphaideas.in, look at the section for book reviews. It's all out there. And that is a wrap on this really, really special episode of Pesa Vesa. Call it the unlisted market. You call it the pre-IPO market. My guest, Nitin Rao of Alpha Ideas. Nitin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for doing this for us and explaining this market to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anupam. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.